But when we talk about like Superman as a superhero, that has to come with the understanding that there's no such thing as just a Superman. Like this guy is the longest running superhero ever. He was the very first, right? And like every iteration of him has been completely different. And a lot of that has to do with not just like changing tastes, but also changing material conditions. Like he stopped being the sort of rakish social justice rogue as soon as the creators lost power over him in a legal battle with DC. You know what I mean? Like then the stable of people that they had hired to like just ghost write for him then got to take over and he became the like American patriot in the fucking 50s, you know, where he became everybody's dad. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's wide dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Yeah, that you point out something that, uh throughout the decades his chest got bigger. Oh man, that fucking the Wayne boring art. The Wayne boring. It's so funny too cuz like uh like it's so funny that some of the art that made super that put Superman on the map that was the most dynamic that was the most culturally relevant is from a man whose last name is Boring. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so good. Oh awesome. man. Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the, the um, video Thank you. You're listening to Left of the Projector. I'm your host, Evan, and this week we'll be talking about the 1978 Superman movie, and with me I have Legendary Black Lion and Nat of Collective, Collective Action Comics. Thank you both for coming on. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Of course, yeah. So Nat and I have been discussing Superman as he is, you can reference by his podcast, I reference a Superman fan. So I, I don't know, maybe maybe to, before we jump into the movie, give people sort of your, I don't know, I don't want to say like your earliest memory of Superman, but just what got you into Superman or comics, given I think this is the first comic book movie I've done on the podcast, so I feel like it's a good place to start. So I don't know what my earliest memory would be, but I was just recently back home in Tennessee, and I was looking through old photo albums that my mom brought out to embarrass me in front of my girlfriend. And one of the youngest pictures of me is uh, me in like a homemade Superman costume that my mom made for me. I must have been like fucking two or three, right? Uh, and then I'm also wearing a mask and I'm looking at that and I'm like, fucking idiot. Superman doesn't wear masks. What are you thinking? Just like going in on my child self. But like, I remember when I was in eighth grade, I, I always wanted to collect comics and I didn't know where to start, but I would, I would ride my bike to the comic book store. And like, I was, I grew up in Alabama, which let me tell you has almost no redeeming qualities to it. And one of those uh, not redeeming qualities, it doesn't have any kind of bike lanes, right? So when I would ride my bike, I would brave the fucking... Remember, this was, this was 2003 or four, so there were Hummers on the road at this time that were about to fucking flatten me. And I would ride my bike to the, uh, the comic book store and I'd pick up um, Superman and Action Comics then, written, I think, by Joe Casey at the time. Um, and I picked up one and it was referencing these bad guys that work with the hollow men. And we were literally studying the T.S. Eliot poem, the hollow men in English class at the time. And I was like, what the fuck? This is like a real world thing. Like this is a weird crossover. Uh, and, and just ever since then, I mean, I've always loved Superman, but that, that was what sort of made it be like, this is my superhero. 
Nice. I think I had one of those costumes before. Oh um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's a picture of us with those like cheap ho- Halloween costumes with the Velcro capes, mm-hmm. the Superman mask, uh, the, with the little S curl. As I was saying earlier, um, Superman. So I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, grew up in the eighties and nineties. So Superman four was on TV all oh, the God. time. Oh, and I'm so, so sorry. We would just stop and watch that. Then <laughs> that was Superman. And you have to understand as a kid, like, Hey, Superman's on TV, so I'm gonna watch Superman. Hell yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and uh, as far as um superheroes, he he was because he was so popular. It's like yeah, he's the best. But um, as I grew up through the '90s, and that's when I was coming of age, um, I got more into the uh, the X Men, uh, those type of comics, and it you know I related to it as far as like. Uh, not quite fitting into social groups and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But uh Superman, oh man, the cartoons were some of the best. In fact, WB still is hitting the they're just hitting the peak when it comes to the cartoons. And so it was it was great. Oh yeah, those Bruce Tim those Bruce Tim ventures, man. Those are yeah. so fucking good. I have to express my disappointment in Warner Brothers. Um I don't know what happened to them. But for the past 20 years, they have done nothing but ruin everything. So 100%. I just watched Superman Doomsday last night, and I remembered why I hated Superman Doomsday. (laughs) It sucks. (laughs) Oh, it's funny. I I remember as a kid having like Superman pajamas that had it was like two pieces and it had the little Velcro spots in the back to hang the cape on it. And I remember, I don't know, I think I was probably like four or five. But I think I feel like slowly I became more interested in other ones. I mean, I, I was I liked Batman as a kid. I think it was one of my mm-hmm. favorites. I think it's just because I liked the cartoons on TV we were talking about before. Yeah. The the X-Men, com- X-Men cartoons, and those are just ones I got into. But this was probably the first time I'd watched the Superman movie in a long time. It had been a while. And one thing you were talking about, the fact that the movie has kind of a weird flow to it. In sort of like sections Mm -hmm. the one thing that immediately that i had never remembered probably because i hadn't seen it from the beginning was the credits are fucking long yeah yeah it was like six minutes of credits at the beginning of a movie which is kind of ridiculous i don't know Mm -hmm. that was sort of sets it up to being sort of this kind of a low slow bringing you very into the whole movie very slowly which i think probably does it a little bit of a disservice well they were like we got you in the theater to watch superman you're gonna stay here yeah, yeah. <laughs> we spent five hundred thousand dollars on these credits. You're gonna watch all six minutes of it. <laughs> and it was the most expensive movie ever made at that point in time. Yeah, it was, it was also the first movie to ever outperform in the foreign box office. It's it's and it killed in the box office. Made three hundred million dollars given the time frame. And so yeah, I mean it was a blockbuster hit. It had they did things they hadn't done in movies before. So I mean I think it's an impressive mm-hmm. feat. But I don't I don't know. I mean, the beginning of the movie, they kind of show you that 1938 comic, sort of the comic book being born or sort of the birth mm-hmm. of Superman. I think that was actually pretty cool opening, but I feel like yeah. they took too long to get from that point to like the start of the movie. I don't know. Stylistically. Yeah, it's, a, it's a weird opening. It's a weird opening. I mean, I'm like, I love this movie to death, but it's a weird opening. It's, it is the like you said, a slow burn. That's the perfect. That's the perfect word for this movie. It comes across as like an event film. By the seventies, people have had Superman for what, like thirty, forty years. Yeah, yeah. And so they're looking at like 
if we can make a Superman movie, we've probably done something special. And so they're yeah. they're well, they're showing off a little bit, you know. It's funny that you should mention that because there's a very cynical reason they chose Superman, and it's because the producers just wanted to make money and skip town. <laughs> of course. Like, did you know that the, the producers, Alexander and his son Ilya Salkind, they um were not present for the the premiere because they were internationally wanted criminals what they would be arrested as soon as they set foot in the united states that i did not know that's wild i did not know that i needed to send superman after them yeah right (laughs) one of the one of the people involved in i I think it was donner i think it was richard donner um another uh acquaintance of his i think richard lester i think that's guy's name called him and said don't work with the sulkins I have been, I worked with them and I've sued them in like three countries now and they've just moved to another country. (laughs) I'm like not getting any money from them. Do not work with these people. I know you're going to, and then you're going to tell the next guy not to. And like, lo and fucking behold. (laughs) That's wild. That is the whole thing was giant money laundering scheme. I mean, it it made a lot of money. I mean, it, it, it it brought, I mean, they made what four, there's no fifth one, right? There's only four. No, there's the four. There's four. Well, yeah. if you count uh, the Brandon Routh movie as a yeah, but that's like sequel, a totally different team, right? Really, yeah, yeah. I mean, they team, turned this so. into this was kind of like the first. Would you say this is like the first franchise of like a character? Probably was. Ooh, well, maybe. I mean, there were all those like serials from the 30s and 40s and 50s okay, too. That's true. But as far as big budget stuff, maybe so. Yeah, I, I can't, don't know. Yeah, I, I'm just I was just thinking about that, but the I think we're talking about things. So like the, the my first note was like super long credits and like good like it's a very nice opening even with that. And it's sort of the first thing I also questioned was do you consider this movie to be meant for kids? Like kids who are were like little kids at the time or is it more so playing on kind of what we see now which is like nostalgia for people who were reading the comics? In let's say the fifties or sixties, I don't know. Well, that's a that's an interesting question because you have to remember that at the time, Superman was still basically a kids' comic. I mean, okay. it had maybe been about eight years or so where it really wasn't like kind of starting in the seventies with like Denny O'Neill taking over when they would say like the new adventures of Superman um, on the covers of the comics. But up to that point, like Superman was for like kids and GIs, like. <laughs> Like that's really, yeah. really like the history of it. Um, so it was like pretty cartoony. However, they did sneak in some interesting adult oriented jokes, some mm-hmm. side yes. gags and some 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 pretty, you know, kind of like the Nickelodeon thing. If you're an adult and you have to watch this, you're gonna laugh at this. This part. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. They definitely there were some creepy in. moments in there. Oh, like him seeing her underwear through the like when she leaves behind the lead planter. Well, uh, I mean, she we'll invited there, him to do that, starts, but also it's still yeah. really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there's quite a few. <laughs> so I don't know. Did you think that they like did justice to Marlon Brando, who shot for twelve days for three point seven million dollars <laughs> and wanted to like not even show up? He wanted to be like a suitcase or a bagel. Yeah, and they they apparently would film him when he wasn't on screen, like when they were just doing things on the side, hoping that they would capture a moment where they could just use it in the film because oh, he's Jesus. apparently like a lazy actor. Apparently, I hear the exact same Brando story for every movie that he's in. <laughs> it's it's so wild. Like, how are you an actor and you don't want to act? <laughs> That's wild. 
dude, nobody's that good. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to put up with this shit. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and, and I feel like a lot of like the really good actors of, of now, like, you, I don't feel like you hear stories like this of them being just, I don't know what you would want to call this, but I, I mean, he, he plays it. He plays his father pretty well. I think the opening couple scenes, I don't know what you guys thought of the Krypton, like the first 15 minutes of the movie, which I think is maybe what you're referring to now. It's like the first yeah. 15 minutes is on Krypton and then yeah. you get to Earth. You know, they nobody was allowed to touch those fucking costumes with their bare hands. That's how they got so shiny. Like they had like chemicals or whatever on them, like brushed onto them. They had to hold yeah, their hands up to their side. They shoot it with a certain light or a film and then that's what makes it glow. That's Didn't wild. they do a similar uh trick with Tron? Oh, I don't know. Uh that's what it reminded me of. I'll that would make sense to me, just with that. like extra colors. Yeah. I thought the Krypton stuff is boring, to be yeah. quite honest. It was too well, long, I think. It, it was it was very long and also okay, you're on Krypton. It's supposed to be a planet full of intelligent creatures. Mm-hmm. It's barren. Like yeah. what is it? It's <laughs> I thought the same thing. You know, like we're the buildings. I think they're I think they're justifying the fact that he can hide his um fortress of solitude in the Arctic by showing this, but also like that's so lazy. Like you can have some establishing shots of like some sort of crystal canyon, but then go into a fucking city. Show me buildings, right? They don't live in the ice. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like there's a there's a great comic from like sixty one or sixty five I don't remember where he like returns to Krypton, and he loses his powers and he falls in love with a girl, and there's this page that is just them like kind of dancing and then twirling and like staring into at each other and the colors are these like big swirls of like yellow and blue and green that all kind of blend together and it's gorgeous even on like the not remastered or whatever page and I want to see shit like that you could do that with like even 70s film techniques, right? Like, I've seen, like, drug-fueled movies from the 70s that totally capture that. Well, I mean, you look at movies that had much smaller budgets at the time that were making really cool cities and, you know, visuals. There's no reason why they couldn't have... That would have been interesting to see, like, commerce within the city. Like, yeah. them walking down the street. I don't know. It would have given, like, actual context to it. It felt boring. I don't know which one you said. It just was boring, and it didn't feel... It almost didn't feel necessary. A hundred percent. And if we're going to see it, give me a fucking flat car with a round top that floats. Like, that's what I want to see, right? It comes across as kind of like a rough draft of a 70s style sci-fi mm-hmm. set. You know, there's not very many details at all. Like, it's a bunch of people standing and walking. There are no chairs, <laughs> no cars. Yeah. Nobody, no one's holding anything. It's just um, these jumpsuits that glow. It's like a less deliberate Logan's run. Like it's 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 really really just detailless. <laughs> and w- one thing I saw too is apparently it was Marlon Brando's idea to use have his uniform have the Superman S on it, which I think really? is interesting. I don't know why they decided yeah. that. I thought it was a very weird choice because from what uh, oh, from what I understand that that choice was the idea that sparked the whole Superman S being the the L family symbol really? from the movie. Yes. That feels like something I should know. And I don't, <laughs> it, I only, like I said, I only just figured like learned this recently. I'm like, that's interesting. I thought that was a much earlier idea, but yeah, it, a lot of ideas kind of solidified in the movie. It became, the movie became kind of like the definitive version of yeah. Superman after a while. 
which it was supposed to be like it was supposed to sort of redefine the character i mean it, it you asked like is it supposed to be cartoony who's it for you know and and i think it's i was sort of formulating this this in the back of my head like it is supposed to be a big epic blockbuster and all that i mean it's supposed to be realistic i mean that's why the tagline is you'll believe a man can fly right like it's it's not just supposed to be a cartoony callback to I don't know when Superman's head becomes the head of a lion uh, and then he has to race around the world to shave off all the fur or something. <laughs> it's not like when the red <laughs> knight gives him the head of an ant or he becomes God. super clown and really fat or something like <laughs> I love Superman comics. I love them. <laughs> another, another thing that I wrote down, this might be like going too deep into like the Krypton thing. Cause I know there's like two more hours of other parts of this movie. <laughs> that's a lot better. But I was writing down as as they're kind of doing this sort of like trial for Zod and the rest of the, you know, the criminals here as they kind of talk about their being sort of like revel. I wrote down like, are they we don't really know much about Krypton in the movie at all. So is it possible that Superman's father and all this group are actually, you know, tyrants or, you know, actually not good people? And, you know, like. Who is the good guy is basically what I'm saying. And there's there's no basis for any information because what we have in this movie. Well, I don't know. You can you you could get a feeling for that because the the council feels very ominous with the giant glowing floating heads <laughs> yeah. being projected on the walls. Ah, but, Congress. Yes. Yeah. But then Zod speaks and he is clearly a psychopath. Mhm. And it they they did communicate that very well in like the, you know, minute he was on screen saying that uh Jor-El would bow before him so he wants to be a tyrant and so in my head canon um the kryptonians are a much more egalitarian society even though they're not great at other things we'll talk about later mm-hmm. but um zod wants to rule everyone and everyone's like no zod you're a troublemaker we need to get you out of here <laughs> and so i would assume their revolution is a bourgeois revolution yeah so yeah, and that would certainly make sense to me. Like they definitely were disrupting the status quo, but not in a way that was in in any way meaningful. Potentially even a step backwards. Yeah. One of my notes, and I'm sorry, I have to comment on this. I like how the Kryptonians have the weird English slash mid Atlantic accent. Yeah. Like they the this was a room full of people putting on a show. They were acting, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had that little bit. They had that one scene. They're like, we're gonna go for it. <laughs> yeah. It was That's it was so good. It, it was interesting because they the, uh, well Superman's parents also make it clear that they have this understanding of Earth and knowing that he will have different powers there. And I I'm not like fam- as familiar with like Superman backstory, but is that like meant to or is that kind of created in this movie? Is that they sort of know where they're sending him? They know about Earth. They have some kind of knowledge. I don't remember if that ever happened before. Um you know, the very first origin story of Superman is one page. They're like, oh, the planet's going to blow up. Better fire our baby into space. So and that's pretty much it. They decided a little bit of color to make it a little more interesting. Yeah. You know, so the Superman story is basically like a retelling of the Moses story. So they added some uh, some juicy details to kind of make you kind of forget a little bit like, oh, this is Moses. Like, oh, this is a space baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it like this movie, like there are so many parts that still line up with the Moses uh, mythos. He gets his parents are sending him away. He's immediately adopted. 
no questions asked. Well, there was a question, but you know, not really much. No questions. And then he finds out that he's special. Um, and I would consider when he finally has the conversation with Jorel, that's him speaking to the burning bush. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Could be. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense considering Siegel and Schuster were Jewish too. I mean, that's an important yeah. story for their upbringing. When he first lands on Earth and he picks up the car, like he doesn't realize what he's doing. I don't feel like at that young age. Mm-hmm. But he also is kind of being fed information as he's traveling in the little pod too. So they also like with the it's aging true. thing also kind of is a little bit interesting. Like he's a baby when he leaves, but it's a couple of years to get there because it's really far. And then, you know, that's another thing too is like, how does Superman age? And do they, how do they consider like Superman aging? You think later in the movie, Jorel says like, yeah, by the time you get this, I will be dead for thousands of years. Oh, okay. Interesting. I so miss that line. I'm, I'm kind of curious, like there's a, there's a lot of glazing over uh, Kryptonian technology. Yeah. This movie. There's some really cool things that happen. I'm like, wait, why does that happen? You know? Yeah. Uh, like the fortress of solitude just builds itself. He can just have information implanted into his brain. He, you know, uh, he can change his suit. Like he doesn't have to hide. He can just think and change his suit. Yeah. It spins around <laughs> real fast. Yeah. You so. don't get the, like him ripping it up with his tie, like off to the side. You get one of those shots. You get one yeah, you, that's true. You do yeah. get one of them. But it's not like the 50s show where they th- they show him running into the same alley every time and then running back out <laughs> as Superman. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess this is the point where he's now, he's landed on Earth. He's, his, you know, he's adopted by his parents and they kind of just treat him, you know, as they would their own son. They don't really allude to this, but it seems like a situation maybe where they couldn't have children. And so they're pleased to have you know, raise Superman. And then you were already talking about him, like with the burning bush is he, when he reaches a certain age, he has like the, the, the rod is like pulsating in the, like the barn. Right. And he, you know, the whole thing, I feel like also right before that with his father dying, I feel like it's a trope. I see like in a lot of comics, it's someone has to sort of like die in your, in your life to like reach some kind of like next level. Cause he doesn't really yeah. remember his father, his actual father dying, but this is his, you know, you could call it his quote unquote father. So I yeah, think of like Spider-Man father, and yeah. uncle and I don't know. And that conversation that he has with Jonathan Kent, like literally before he dies. Yeah. It's, um, it's what redeems this whole movie for me. A hundred percent agreed because Clark, you know, he's being bullied at school by the, by the jocks. Um, he, he knows he can't participate in football. He'd be the best. Mm-hmm. And so, he's, you know, he's having those internal struggles. He's like, Dad, I could totally beat these guys. You know, I'd be the best. And he's like, look, yeah, we know that. But your strength, you know, you're here for a reason. We don't know what it is, but it's not to play football. And it's kind of like that whole speech is like, okay, you're a strong man, but you're not a ruler. You're not here to be over everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be a domineering strong man, which – Jonathan Kent didn't know Zod, but that's what Zod was. That's what Zod was. Mm-hmm. So after that, I'm like, okay, I, I think I feel better about Superman. You know, he he's not um, what Zack Snyder decided to make. Yeah, him. yeah. And they had a deliberate conversation. Not not like limit yourself. It's like, no, you're going to be the you're going to be better than this. Mm-hmm. And I think I think too that like that's a great that's a great point to make. Because not only does it give gravitas and and characterization to this Superman, but as far as like story construction too, 
Like that's what's brought back, you know, spoilers or whatever in the end so that Superman, make, Superman gets to make the choice. And it's not just about his actions. It's about why he does his actions. And he, we've got his two fathers speaking in his ears, you know, like the little devil and the angel on each shoulder. Right. And it's what defines this version of the character. And, you know, partially what comes to ultimately define our modern understanding of the character. Yeah. One thing I think that the, you know, his Jarl like doesn't impart to him in his sort of knowledge. He, he says, what is the, his, the line he says is not to interfere or to interfere with, you know, things mm-hmm. on earth, but he, I don't think he really prepares him for the fact that he's going to be better physically than anyone that lives there. And so how can you not inherently pick up that mantle eventually? And his, mm-hmm. you know, the, his, his adopted father kind of gives him that sense of like moral um, understanding of like what could be good and what could be bad. And like you said, like making his own choice. So I think it's, I think it's solid. And I hate, I hate to always have to compare it to Snyder, but <laughs> Jonathan Kent and Snyder was like, and I understand because he has a very different perspective of like what it means to be a strong man, but his Jonathan Kent was limiting um, Zack Snyder Superman while Jonathan Kent in this Superman was expanding his horizons. Mm-hmm. You know, your power isn't in your strength. Your power is basically your character. You're going to be better than all of these things that you think are great. Uh, Snyder was like, no, hide your power because people want people to hate you. Yeah, it, very simple. Just, yeah. It makes some of the analysis of those movies just stand out and bold. Like, yeah, this is kind of like a neoliberal take on mm-hmm. Superman. And it's like, uh, you know, boring among other things. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up neoliberal because that means that we can get into that transitions us into like sort, sort of a more political understanding of the movie or discussion of the movie. Because like as, as we're still on the sort of split between Jor-El and Jonathan, right, Jor-El kind of represents this, even if they both want what's good, right, Jor- Jor-El represents this more removed academic sense of helping people. He literally says you can show them how they can be better, right? Whereas Jonathan Kent, not academic, but instead like worker of the land is like, no, get the fuck out there and do something. He says you're here for a reason, I think was his. Yeah. Line, right? Yeah. 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 No, go yeah. do, go do a thing instead of inspire people. <laughs> well, in, in that, in that, yeah. in that viewpoint, would you say that sort of the Jarl is more like the neoliberal kind of take? What would you put? Jonathan I wouldn't Kent. necessarily put, I wouldn't put Jor-El as a neoliberal in this. It's really hard to define him in this, but like, if we wanted to ascribe the best of intentions to him, we could call him like ivory tower academic Marxist, like the, like the platypus review or, or like verso books or something like that, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, again, that's being, that's sort of reading maybe a little too deep into it, but if I no. had to give, if I had to give a characterization, that's what I would say. Um, yeah. Whereas Jonathan Kent is like very much the kind of farmer that would like go to one of those auctions after the state had like, you know, um, used eminent domain on somebody's tractor and then was putting it up for auction. And then all of the neighboring farmers went and just like filled out the auction house and never bid on anything so that the farmer who got their tractor taken from them would get their tractor back. That's the kind of farmer that I get. That's the vibe I get from this Jonathan Kent. Yeah. He's, he seems like the, a stand-up person who wants what's best for his community and the people around him as opposed to, yeah. Yeah, which is funny because the only Smallville community we see is just a bunch of piece-of-shit jocks. Well, a bunch of piece-of-shit jocks and a car full of way too young people to be in high school. Right, right. I was like, some of those some of those girls are like 12. 
Yeah. Howard first, and then Howard like nine people in that one car. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listening to what like uh, rock around the clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was watching it. I was like, man, that that old beater is only twenty years old at this point in the like when this movie was filmed, and it's like ancient to us now. I know, man. Okay, so I'm not the only one that had trouble with like the time frame that. <laughs> It that was weird, I feel like, right? Because well, opening... remember, he had to spend like 15 years or something like that in the yeah. Fortress of Solitude. Yes. So it was like the 50s before he got to Metropolis. Right. Yeah. And so I guess when he gets to Metropolis, he, you know, he goes to the Daily Planet to, you know, get a job. And some of the things I think they've kind of fit into the, maybe the political aspect of this movie or things we could discuss. I feel like the, like the idea of what they refer to as sort of like news stories and scoops and getting news is very sensationalized in like a way that's not at all any different than like literally right now. You know, we're talking yeah. 30, 40 years later and it's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Like where they, I mean, like, what is it? She's always covering like sexual assault cases. Yeah. They're like, no rapist has one P. Right. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think they also say she says she wants to get like the ethnic angle of some story too. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. I mean, I realized when this movie came out, but it's it's just like the same thing they would be describing, except it's just now they just use different words. Yeah, and one of the things that I would like to have seen more of is a more of a reflection of how this is literally in the middle of the um the the nascent neoliberalization of New York. Right, I think Mayor Beam was all right was still the mm-hmm. mayor. And like <clears throat> Ford had already said that they weren't going to give the city any funds to help with like the bankruptcy problem. Like we're like at least like, we're like three years out from that or something like that. Well, and and then it's funny you say that because in that case, you know, there is probably so this comes a little bit later. But I, I think I, we, I mentioned dues before and that is that Lois Lane lives in like a ridiculously nice apartment <laughs> yeah. and she's just yeah. like a beat reporter at the daily planet and yeah. given like new york at the time there's no way her shit looked that nice on that salary let alone like that that was even available to her so yeah the fucking penthouse apartment with the garden <laughs> <laughs> just like with the beginning in krypton you don't really get a sense of like metropolis or like the general public at all yeah. except for a few characters and a few scenes outside and i think that would have given like so much more to the movie i don't know if they could have fit it in or how they would have done it but yeah it would have been a three-hour movie yeah yeah the, the Snyder <laughs> cut well they could just they could just shave down some of those credits and give themselves some wiggle room yeah and cut another six yeah, minutes right? off krypton <laughs> right. yeah, that's 12 minutes right there well then you also have to ask yourself like would that really have added anything to the movie that they were going for because the movie is very much in line with the idea of Superman as the archetype rather than as the character with an arc, even though he's like really the only one with an arc, but it's not exactly the hero's journey that we all kind right. of you know, expect. Um, but of course that brings some questions that you have to ask. Like if you're going with an archetypal character, archetypal character in an archetypal setting, why is like, why do we assume that a city like Metropolis slash New York just is the way it is? Why is it the archetype? Hence the criticisms of Superman. Well, yeah. <laughs> because I mean, he's, you know, he's, they do like scene after scene of him helping people and saving cats and stopping robberies. <laughs> but like, he's not changing anything about like the social conditions, you know? Yeah. 
He's you and Umberto Echo, man, you you have the same the same criticisms. He was the one that did, you know, he did Earth Fascism. He did a thing where he he talked specifically about Superman, where he said that Superman is palatable because Superman makes it seem acceptable to only do small acts of good, small and, acts of benevolence instead of systemic change. And in this movie, those small acts of good are helping the police they're they're praised there is like oh it's so amazing yeah he's helping the police um later in the movie i am so sorry but i gotta spoil this later in the movie <laughs> when he does this quick change there is a pimp and there are hoes in this movie mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's <laughs> that's white people's work in the 70s right right exactly and granted he only had like two lines but he got the job talking Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think like, okay, so um in this in this world, what is the actual good that Superman is doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Um besides stopping the missiles. Besides the stopping the missiles or saving people from uh I guess you could say saving people from natural disaster well, not natural disaster, but like we, from disaster. Yeah. From disaster, yeah. 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 But that's the uh sensational stuff. Like that that's easy for audiences to digest. And so with how comically flat uh, the villain is, mm -hmm. you kind of have to rely on that because yeah. Superman versus Luther is basically uh, is, is kind of resolved in seconds once he gets, you know, once he gets close to him. Yeah. But there, the movie builds up Luther as being this quote unquote, uh, mastermind and he really the only thing that allows him to get away with his crimes or what is nobody really knows who he is throughout the whole movie mm -hmm. and he's behind some, you know you can kind of see in the background in the news uh, articles and headlines like stuff is happening and you kind of put two and two together like oh Luther's doing this but mm -hmm. when you hear him monologue about what he wants to do it's the dumbest thing ever <laughs> and that's pre-crisis superman or pre-crisis lex <laughs> luthor for you right there <laughs> yeah. like he starts off like a really good bad guy in the 30s and then he just becomes like idiot super scientist like idiot genius yeah he's got like, like technical gadgets things. and stuff like especially yeah. in, like the second movie he has like little his little radar gadget that he can then find the you know the fortress of solitude but i feel like it's almost like a waste of gene hackman in a sense, I don't oh, know, yeah. it is. It's just like it he is such is. a good actor and he's in such good movies. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he just kind of like, I don't say he mails it in, but he just doesn't. Yeah. It's not like a match for this movie. It doesn't. No. And, and, and I wonder if the idea was to have, because obviously they want Lex Luthor in the movie. He's a, you know, a famous bad guy in the Superman universe. But do mm -hmm. they want to almost like make it easy in quotes for like Superman in this one to kind of give him like a little slam dunk early on in the franchise. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to explain like why it doesn't feel like any kind of, it's more the origin of him than it is like him actually fighting yeah. evil. Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. Which is a shame. Whatever I love Jim mm -hmm. Yeah. Jing Hap yeah. He, he did. Honestly, with the little effort that he put into it, there were, there were some shining moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's he's he's trying to get across like I am a narcissist, um, calling yourself the greatest criminal mastermind. Who aspires to be a criminal mastermind? First off, <laughs> right. But uh, I think the producers of this movie do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's they wrote themselves in the movie, go. right? 
I, I guess so. Uh, so when Luther is introduced, he offers this line about his father and what his whole motivations are behind, um, which is real estate. But he says stocks may rise and fall. Utilities and transportation systems may collapse. People are no damn good, but they will always need land and they will pay through the nose to get it. Mm-hmm. Now, that is the most coherent thing he says throughout the entire movie. And it, it kind of makes sense. He's a re- he's a real estate s- scam artist. Yeah. And I can't help but to get some Donald Trump f- uh, vibes from him. He's buying. Which is funny. Well, I, was, I don't mean to interrupt. Go on. I'll bring oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's buying up garbage uh, real estate for high prices. And then he's going to blow up everything else. Like, I think there's a better way to scam people in real estate. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just use the government for eminent domain. <laughs> <laughs> do what the Bush family did with fucking the, the, the Ranger Stadium. Like, it's easy. We live in a country that makes it very easy to get a loan to do Airbnb. Like, <laughs> like this is, you go, you would use way too much effort here, Lex. Yeah. But like, but like you, you mentioned, like the Donald Trump thing, and you know, it, this is pre crisis, right? So mm-hmm. Luthor was not in the comics a like billionaire business person, right? He was not a CEO, he was not part of a capitalist system. It's even kind of hard to call him a capitalist in this because we don't see him actually benefiting off anybody else's labor, right? Like, we just see that he has money and invests it. But eight years from now, or from then, in 86, John Byrne reinvents the character specifically after Donald Trump. Ah. Like, the 86 bald, fat Luthor that is that has the penthouse in, like suite in the L-shaped building is specifically modeled off Don- Donald Trump. I mean, that's exactly when he was building up his real estate mogul, you know, Ponzi scheme. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And like literally within a few years of this movie, like either two or three on either side, that was when Donald Trump got famous for being a racist. (laughs) Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. So who who inspired who? Right. Right. Because when Luther Luther's lair, I don't buy him as being very wealthy at all. He lives in an abandoned um subway tunnel yeah but a really nice Which, one yeah nicely furnished I mean, one yeah. imagine what oh, that goes yeah. for now <laughs> it's like a uh, million dollar pad um but i'm sorry i couldn't help but to think of the ninja turtles in that scene oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's down there chowing out some pizza yeah right <laughs> just With a like, disgusting shriveled rat in a in a oh, in God. a robe shows up with the dumbest assistant <laughs> known to man. <laughs> hey, Lois Lane, April O'Neil. There's some some mm, real parallels. Yeah, Intrepid yeah. reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's or true. as Superman comics call her, girl reporter, because they're very progressive. Well, the the whole thing with uh, with. Lex Luthor is sort of his plan. You mentioned like his plan. So that to add to it, it's like he wants to take these two missiles and blow up at the right spots on California's coastline to create a rift that would mm-hmm. basically give him like a new coast. And he's gonna build like his hotels, which again also feels very much like the whole Trump thing. Donald, like it's Donald Trump. The, the dumb, Donald Trump see this in 1970 is like, hmm, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was doing in '78. He probably already was. Oh, yeah, he was being a complete ass in the 70s. It's also a fairly cynical read on, like, tribal business and tribal attitudes. 
where Lois Lane is talking to the, like, I don't know, um, proprietor of all this, like, quote-unquote worthless land in the car, and he's just like, oh, some idiot bought it for me from me for a lot of money. Why wouldn't I sell? It's like, well, you have um, maybe some reason not to. Yeah, that was a questionable moment I noted, too. It's like, like if, little... if, some, if a white person wanted that land, they just wouldn't pay you for it. They would get the government to just take it from you. Yeah. Or they would occupy it with their, their cronies and, like, claim it from the government, too. We yeah. Had a, we have that happen as well. Any number of actions they could take. Like, yeah. It is, I think, very cynical. So, well, we haven't broken into the 80s yet, so there are... Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of being... They don't know what is coming. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> well, true. Reagan... Reagan isn't hasn't uh, burst on the scene. I know, right? Well, let's see. The, so, yeah. Superman three was eighty one, right? So that was Reagan's first year. I think Superman three is very much like uh, it's the writer's grief, like griefs and gripes with the seventies, but from the safe distance of the eighties, mm-hmm. because there's like uh, like a blackout in Metropolis, just like there was in New York. Mm-hmm. Like it's and there's another one I can't remember what it was. I love Superman three. It's awful, but I love it. <laughs> so the. One thing I, we, we haven't really discussed is so we talked about how Superman is now working at the Daily Planet. We have Lois Lane there. And we, I think maybe it was either before we started recording or maybe just at the very beginning, kind of talking about sort of Superman, or I guess in this case, Clark Kent's sort of demeanor in there, sort of the mm-hmm. way he acts around other people. It's very awkward. Oh, yeah. And I think it's interesting to maybe, I don't know, kind of see how he... He like fits in because like the only other moment in time where you have any social interaction is when he was like bullied as a child essentially, and now mm-hmm. he's coming back with his infinite knowledge he's gained and is able to like kind of <laughs> read <XP>. people, <laughs> right? And so he comes back, and then you also have like his early interactions with Lois Lane, and I found them kind of like you kind of want to feel like kind of like charming and sweet because he's trying to like befriend someone. But at the same time, you see the other people around and they seem to just be like, fuck is this guy? Like he's going <laughs> to yeah. take, take my take my job or take my like typewriter or whatever. And so this fucking corn pone. <laughs> so it just felt like the same kind of thing. He just wants to have like he's like starved for a friend. Right. Like I feel yeah. like he just wants to have a friend. I don't know. That's like the vibe that I got from him. There. Yeah. Well, the Christopher Reeves performance masterful in this part because he really he definitely gets across like okay i am i'm a big old dork i'm a six four dork but for some reason i look smaller than everybody in the room right he he pulls it off with like his physical performance and then mm-hmm. the way he delivers his lines i thought that lois and clark had an amazing um chemistry when they first interacted she just kind of she's i mean you know she's dismissive of him but it's kind of in a it's, it's in a certain way. I don't know what I don't know what the word is, but it kind of like they they have a connection immediately from it. Mm-hmm. And um, and then from from there on, he establishes, OK, I'm the goofy dork. I can't be close to this woman. But that actually works into his uh, his cover as, you know, as Clark. It, mm-hmm. it works out later when they do uh, the fly, the fly date. Yeah. You know. So, but yeah, I, I thought it. I thought it came across pretty well. But yeah, it is everyone else's reaction to him. They they don't pay attention to him, or they're almost like disgusted by him yeah. being there. Yeah, until Perry White has this mysterious like. That's what I got to talk to you about, Clint, uh, Kent. It's like okay, yeah. I don't know what. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> Just kind of like you. You have to feel there's a difference between Clark Kent and Superman. I think they 
pull off him like seeming like mm-hmm. two different characters you know yeah you know really know who way. gave him do you know who trained him physically to like gain 50 pounds for the role no i don't but i i'm gonna i'm gonna i won't guess go ahead david prouse the guy that played darth vader that wow. i did not would not have guessed yeah okay that, isn't that wild that is wild he Reeves did get like pretty ripped up for that for the yeah, role. the biggest that man could ever get let me tell you that is he's a toothpick in a suit and then they made yeah. him they made him they gave him like some padding yeah which, which i wonder like when he first came to do the role he must have been even like smaller yeah yeah well that's the that's the the story right is that he didn't look anything like superman but he looked exactly like clark kent so they had to make him look like superman he already was ready mm-hmm. for the, the the role he was born to play mm-hmm. i think one of the suggestions they were going to give him a muscle suit and he was like no i'm gonna put the muscle on and he actually yeah. did bulk up to fill out that uh that latex that uh spandex yeah as far as i understand he was like a song and dance man before that like i mean he's a classically trained actor so he had the stamina for it you know and the, the determination they almost went with one like like some producer's dentist or something like that <laughs> well, i saw the list of people i can't find it now that had um i guess auditioned for it and yeah. like they were, were, like, were considered yeah considered they're like a lot of big actors but i think they didn't want to some of them didn't want to do it they like didn't yeah. feel like this would be like a good movie and i don't know i feel like they probably missed out i mean they made four of yeah. them and the first well they, but donner didn't want it to be a big name because he wanted it like when people look at the uh, look up on the screen they didn't want to say oh that's you know so and so this is this actor flying right the air. that's right that's, that's right superman flying right maybe it was the studio who wanted a big actor but he's like no i don't want that yeah although it'd be fucking rad if they had actually cast muhammad ali that'd have been so cool that would have been such a different movie (laughs) yeah tell me about you would have had people back then being like this superman is woke (laughs) (laughs) something i don't know i don't know what word they use that but it would have been something it would have been like this movie but the words they used back then were more direct. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. You know. that, yeah, right. So, <laughs> so one, one of the other scenes that I thought is great, I think you mentioned before, like the, one of the creepiest scenes being like when Superman goes to Lois Lane's like penthouse mansion on the, like in the high rise <laughs> to do to do the interview. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, when and then like the underwear part he was talking about, but the, the like the questions and answers that she's asking him, like were also, I felt very, strange mm-hmm. I, I felt like the interview was very like it was like this like the expose on superman but like they don't really ask him any questions and it kind of no. one note i wrote down was just like kind of the super superficial nature of mm-hmm. like this kind of journalism and then the other one was i think they asked him you know what he'll be doing and it was did he say like the truth justice in the american way is that when he says that yeah. and yeah. i just like wrote that down like oh geez you know it's lois immediately laughs at him like you do that, you'll be fighting half of the elected officials. Yes. <laughs> elected officials. Yeah. Which I think was basically the extent of political commentary in this entire movie. Right. And it's like such a <laughs> liberal take. Like yeah. it's so milk toast. Because in nineteen seventy eight, I mean, granted there were some things going on, but it wasn't a you know, what there was the oil crisis, uh mm-hmm. Carter was president. Uh, you know, it wasn't you half know half of it, yeah. There were there were there wasn't a whole lot for them to comment on that would have like stood out as being a major pop culture uh, reference in this movie. Yeah. We're on the heels of Watergate, remember? 
That's a good yes. point. That's true. Yeah. So like people's idea of just corrupt politicians, you know, being shady, doing deals, which they certainly were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said earlier, like this is when New York was um, floundering because they were having that financial crisis and the Ford administration were, was absolutely refusing to give them any money, which just allowed these like this like wave of privatization that kicked off neoliberalism. That's that's when uh, New York would start to become the rat hole that we recognize in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, 80s, 80s movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and which then, which then allowed you know um, Giuliani to disnify Times Square using militarized police. Yeah, stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, Bill that. Bratton. Yep, he cleaned mm-hmm. up New York. I remember, I remember um, an old Letterman episode which. I'm so sorry. I'm even talking about this, but they were they had <laughs> they uh they they did interview Giuliani about it, and um and the whole thing was like the uh, the joke was that New York had gone two weeks without any murders, but the punchline was because everyone figured out how to hide the bodies better, mm. and that's kind of the Giuliani method. Like, yeah, let's make this let's make let's kind of sweep the dirt under the rug. Yeah, or out to the uh, suburbs. Yeah, Metropolis doesn't really give you much of anything. Like mm-hmm. it has no personality. You just take it take for granted that it's a city. It's basically mm-hmm. New York, but it doesn't show you New York. You know. Yeah, it's like that old joke that like, uh, oh, is New York a character in the movie? Well, Metropolis is certainly not a character in this one. No, no, no it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just the you you basically only have. The only scenes really in it are in the Daily Planet at Lois's apartment and then Lex mm-hmm. Luthor's lair. And that's it. Like those are the only Lois's three- apartment, which is bigger than the Daily Planet offices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she has. And she garden. can't get her stories on the first page either. Right. Like, she's complaining about that. Right. <laughs> yeah, Except she gets like two of them on the page, the front page in the same movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. And I, th- this is maybe like skipping, well, not skipping, like jumping into another thing, but the, like, we we're talking about Lex Luthor before, and I was thinking about like how you saying he's not like, not really much of a mastermind, like he's this mastermind criminal. I have to say when they like do their little scheme to like get the codes for the missiles, like reprogram them, how come they didn't like check before they shot them? Right. Uh, and like the whole thing too is like twice they just like get all of the army or was it the army or whatever navy to like come out and yeah. just like oh we're gonna distract you and with like the pretty woman that was another scene that I thought was pretty messed mm-hmm. up where the maybe that made this movie incredibly based because of its portrayal of the U.S. military as idiot rapists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dude's like I'm gonna give her chest compressions. Yeah, right. But that's the most accurate of the U.S. military I've seen in the movie. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, maybe, that's true. Like, maybe it's time to rethink this entire this entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they drove on public roads carrying nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, and got distracted by a lady in a red dress. And, and then they <laughs> and then they decide to take like a one lane road across this like little bridge, and like some dudes like truck. Also, Lex Luthor's like getting trucks and like bands and like, where does he get all these like stashed away? He had a whole trailer. He had a house on a trailer. <laughs> so funny. Oh, it, and it then just, what was his name? John, um, John, what's his name? The guy that's in all the Pixar movies. He's like the like uh, missile, like communications operator. He plays pig in Toy Story. Oh, he, he's in Cheers. He's Cliff in Cheers. John Good. No, not John. I know he's not John, John Goodman. Goodman. 
we all recognize his voice. Did George Went? No, that was Norm. Uh, oh, oh, okay. I don't know who you're talking Cliff about. Cliff Clavin, the mailman. Like, yeah. uh, John Ratzenberger. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I lose my shit every time I see him in this movie because I always forget that he's in like 30 seconds of this movie. <laughs> well, and he, he didn't get paid nearly as much as uh, Marlon Brando for his, uh, his right. little clips. But. <laughs> Well, the, so this is, uh, I think you were talking about earlier, kind of like Superman's, you know, his decision-making process of like who he would save, how he can help. And you said before, I think that the only time in this movie where he really does any major helping, I guess he saves Lois from the helicopter, I guess is one yeah. scene, yeah. but that's only saving a single, I guess a few people could have potentially gotten injured down on the bottom, yeah. but he saves, he, he makes the decision to not just stop the missiles, but then he, he, he uses his power to go back in time to save mm-hmm. Lois Lane. And it's this, so how, how do you, how does that like kind of like square with his personality? Is it that he see, like he actually already has feelings for her and that's why he's doing it. Or is it simply, he feels like that this is someone too important to lose. I don't know. I know what you guys think about that. I don't understand Superman's powers. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I ever have. Um, I'll let you in a little clue here. Neither do the writers. <laughs> I don't think anyone who's ever written Superman understood his powers because he's had some wild powers in the past. Yeah. Um, and then a weakness at another time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In like the third issue of Action Comics, he like looks at a guy real hard and his face turns into that guy's face. I remember that. And mm-hmm. that's just so weird. It's really weird. So Superman will reverse time for apparently just this le- this region in space um i will just say kryptonian technology um <laughs> to save lois i did i wrote down that he did keep um uh test uh keep the promise to save her parents first which he, he did lies. he, he never didn't lies. lie he saved her parents first but then he reversed time so it <laughs> Well, you, they don't show how far <laughs> back in time he goes. I mean, they show everything being reset, so we can yeah. assume that he goes back to before the missiles are launched. Yeah, yeah. Right. But if he can do that, um, couldn't he go back further in time and prevent oh, yeah, like, some, some major things? I wrote down, like, you know, he goes back to save one person, but he doesn't Well, he also saves Jimmy Olsen, too, right? Because he moves. Oh, him. well, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. He saves but his by, ver- by virtue of, like, not having the dam collapse. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And then he still leaves Jimmy in the desert alone. He's like, get him some water. (laughs) Right. But like, you know. Oh man, Jimmy just treated like garbage in these movies. Welcome to the world of Jimmy Olsen, right? Like (laughs) But like, you know, there's I always bring it back to this and it's it's sort of a cop out, but also sort of not. Whenever we start asking these kinds of plot hole questions, like why can Batman like just go to parties at night and also fight crime? Why can why does his arm heal after being broken the night before? How do the X Men also deal with classes at the same time and crushes and they save the <laughs> world? Like, how can yeah. Superman do all these things? What's going on? And Grant Morrison, one of the finest comic book writers of all time, has the perfect answer to it. They say that it's something that children understand inherently that adults have to struggle with, and it's because it's not real. It's not the point, yeah. you know. And of course, it's it's fine to ask these questions, but really. Sometimes I feel like we're a little too jaded to just enjoy seeing somebody do something we can't and have always wanted to do. I also think that the reason why people will say that Superman is such a 
non-personality. He's he's written as a blank enough slate for you to project yourself. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will project and say like, well, if I had those powers, I would do this great thing. If I had those mm-hmm. powers, I would do this great thing. And so it's, you know, I I would say for me, you know, being a comic book enthusiast for such a long time, it's a it's a fun and cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um and it, and I think it also depends on what your background is. Some people are coming from um backgrounds where maybe they have uh, abuse in their childhood or in mm-hmm. their past or maybe they're dealing with poverty or maybe they're dealing with um you know some other you know other societal problems and they and they say like superman i will be the superman or if i was superman i would handle this problem this way and it's you know it's the criticism of him being dull and dry is kind of like the point of him he you know he's not supposed to be this strong personality that you you follow he's supposed to be someone you can relate to and become yeah now, there's some other issues yes there's some other issues i you know i think for other episodes but mm-hmm. you know but and and you're absolutely right like that's that's part of it too is like there is not one superman there is only ever at one time in history been one superman and that was when the 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 two kids who had the very problems that you just laid out created him that was the only time that he was a he Superman was created in response to societal problems. The fact that he was made to be an archetype from the very beginning is testament to both his longevity and the fact that he has been twisted into ways that some of us don't like to see him, right? Through corporate power, through material realities, through capitalism itself in general, right? But he is there to be what we would like to be. Now, sometimes that's defined by people we don't always agree with. But it's it's just it's just what it is. Well, you you noted in the little note in your note that uh, you said was that this movie was shaped sort of by World War II. I don't know yeah. if you wanted. To, I mean, I, I think I don't know if that's how you would also just see Superman. This iteration that, of Superman yeah. is that what you kind of mean? Pretty much, because like at the beginning, Superman was there to deal with the problems of people being poor and exploited. You know, one of the first stories is him. Uh, literally laying siege to the home of a CEO who's using shoddy building materials and being like, I'm going to make sure you come to justice and I don't really trust our justice system. So I'll be back next week for you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking based. Um, but then when World War II happened, they had a dilemma because they couldn't just send Superman off to war because it would either fall flat that he just beat Hitler and then but Hitler's still around in the real world or mm-hmm. like he, they couldn't just ignore it totally because then they'd feel like they weren't doing a real service to the war effort. Right. Um, and so what they did was they acknowledged it. They had Clark get a headache from some, I don't know, like super flu or something like that. And then while he was doing his physical tests, he accidentally looked at the eye chart in the room next to his because he couldn't control his, x-ray vision and so the doctor was like man you're strong as an ox but you can't see for shit so (laughs) you're 4f and you're not going to war and clark's Mm. like "Mm, okay um and so that's how they got out of that and they just made all the covers all the like patriotic and often quite racist you know we all know the phrase i don't have to say it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um but because they had because there was this sort of shying away from the war, the stories became more and more cartoonish. And that got kind of, that that sort of snowballed into 
um, like more fantastical, more like that's kind of why they gave him that mixed with the fact that Captain Marvel was selling so well. Um, Shazam now like that is what led him to be to get more superpowers and to become stronger and more fantastical so that they could make these more outlandish stories, take him away from Earth so that he didn't have to deal with all of these problems at home. That's why we have a Christopher Reeve Superman that can fly around the world until it starts turning backwards. <laughs> and then suddenly the Hoover Dam is fixed and Lois is alive, right? You know, that's it's it's one step after after another that got us to where we were in the 70s. It's certainly a toned down version of where they had brought the character because 70s Superman was a trip. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's a trip. Um he fights a man made of solid stars uh, at one point and then just like, it's like, I can't deal with this and then throws him away from the earth. And it's just like, all right, that takes care of that. Um, but yeah, so that's just sort of where we got, why we got the sort of cartoony nature of Superman. Cause he starts off like grim and gritty and I'm going to beat up the landlord that is p- forcing this poor woman out on the street, you know? And that's not what we get from the movie at all. I mean, it's sort of like the thing you see in a lot of, both superhero movies and, you know, I guess superhero adjacent movies where they just kind of ignore the any mature reality of like what's happening, which is also partly why like you don't have Metropolis or New York. I mean, not mm-hmm. the necessarily the reason why they just don't have it, but you don't want to, they don't want you to see, to peel back the onion and to see the problems. They want you to see him saving some missiles, like because that's what Superman mm-hmm. can do when technically those corrupt politicians they're talking about are the ones that should be in quotes, fixing the, yeah. the problems of the actual people. And so Superman's here to do the the shiny work. The I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going. Yeah, those those capitalist politicians are the reason that we have so many fucking missiles. <laughs> like Yeah, they don't touch on the Cold War at all in No, they really don't. It's it's not mentioned. You would have no idea that other countries existed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. The only well, I think you you pointed out Nat that on uh on Lex Luthor's desk, he had a portrait of Mussolini. Okay, oh, yes, right. I, I saw that's that. That's right, I yes. forgot about that, yeah. Okay, was, so there's two I, countries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Lex Luthor would, you know, idolize Mussolini. You wanted to connect the villains, right? Mm-hmm. Really, that's the media shorthand, just kind of. Yeah, which works because Mussolini was the one that privatized all of Italy, just like Lex, Luthor's want, Lex Luthor wants to privatize all of Metropolis. He's like it's almost like Lex Luthor's like an aspiring capitalist, right? He wants to become yeah a capitalist, but in this movie, he's just kind of like a guy that seems to have gotten some money somewhere along the way with enough yeah. money to buy a bunch of real estate. Probably got it from his dad. That that's exactly what I was gonna say. And if he was so smart, why would he be buying up this land for, as they say repeatedly, exorbitant amounts of money? It should have been petty on the yeah, like this is what invites all of the scrutiny, right? This is why Lois is out there like investigating this possible land fraud. We know it's not fraud. It's just him paying too much money, quote unquote, too much money for this land. Why would he do that? Yeah. If it's as worthless as they're saying, it's not like he has any competition buying it. Right. Buy before the government does. Yeah. <laughs> Buy up some yeah. worthless land. Yeah, it's. Yeah, and then the only other city they mentioned, they don't even really mention L.A. They just say California, you know, like cutting the- They the, do mention L.A. once. That's, that's going to become Otisburg. Oh, yeah, that's that right. One little, yeah. He's like, oh, it was Otisburg. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of performances that are not wasted, Ned Beatty shines in this movie. 
Yeah. Like, he's so good. Yeah, I feel like, and also, if Lex Luthor was so brilliant, do you think he would have hired or had a more competent <laughs> guy? Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> Maybe like, he doesn't want any competition. Yeah, Otis. Otis is like the guy who has all the money or something. He's like, you know, bankroll. <laughs> he's got like a trust. Uh, Otis or is his dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his uncle or his cousin. I don't know. He needs a loan. He swears he's going to pay it back. Because like, yeah, even, the, yeah. like even once the, his real estate thing works out, we're going to pay it all back. Well, he don't <laughs> worry. I got a plan. <laughs> well, he's cool with him until in the second movie when they he escapes from prison and he just like leaves him behind because he can't like yeah. get up on the little like uh, hot air balloon. Escape. Oh, yeah. So silly. I will say, like the like second um, appearance of Lex Luthor, we talk about him being like a weird idiot, right? Like that makes questionable decisions. He pretends yeah. to be a tree to talk to Superman in like his second appearance, <laughs> 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 just so he could like get up close to him. <laughs> well, he like projects his body into a tree, and Superman's just like. Oh, hello, Lex, or hello, Luthor. I don't think he had the name Lex at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they do. He like he's like a mixture of like I. He has like good ideas, but like he's not executing them very well. No, it's not at all. Very absurd. Yeah. Like Although it's pinky. really cool when he slams the cane down on the like the glass and it shatters on the map. So yeah, repre- That's really neat. Like that was a really good shot. I feel like the effects don't look bad in a mm-hmm. modern sense. Given when it was made, too, I feel like it's not mm-hmm. too dated. It's like some of these CGI movies from like 10 years ago already look yeah, like unwatchable. Right. And yeah. this, you know, from 1978, it's not bad. Honestly, the more remastered it gets, the worse it looks. On my birthday, like five years ago for the 40th anniversary of the movie, I got to see a screening of it on film in a big theater. And it was mm. awesome. It looked so good. It's how it was meant to be seen, right? Like, yeah, totally. Uh, again, I was uh, kind of researching the movie. From what, I, from what I understand is that the flying scenes, you know, where there's a landscape behind them, mm-hmm. the uh, the special effects team regretted that they shot it in 30, 35 millimeter instead mm-hmm. of 70 because of the sharpness. And I'm like watching him fly. First of all, I think they do very well uh, portraying his speed. It just, mm-hmm. it just looks cool. But I get what they're saying because he looks one level of sharpness in the background looks a slightly different. Yes. It doesn't really break. Uh, it doesn't break the scenes, but you can you can definitely tell. I think it's neat that they invented the like zoom lens, the Zoptic thing for it. That's really cool. Um, I'd like to see that used more practically now and what, what they could do with that. Unless I'm completely wrong and they already do that still. I don't know. But I don't know. Uh, do you have any? Were there any like last bits of notes or points you wanted to make on, on this or Superman in general? Let me check my notes here. Well, I had two things. One, uh, overall, the film it was a great. It was a feel good film. It should have not worked at all. <laughs> um, I, the the storytelling method it was kind of like this happens, then this happens. You know, kind of like a montage. Uh, there was very little that caused things to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but when things did, when there was a cause, the scenes were just so tight and just masterfully woven together. Um, and then I couldn't help but to notice that basically uh, from the moment Clark met Lois, he's hitting on her the entire mm-hmm. time. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And then he gets Superman to do the dirty work. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and like how much that from them relying on us to just expect that it's going to happen rather than, than than them earning it, them as them being the screenwriters. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I like to leave on the fact that I uh, love Superman unabashedly. Uh, nothing anybody tells me ever could could change that. But I recognize that that's not the most um, widespread opinion. No, that's. I wouldn't begrudge you like him, Superman. Um, now, if someone was doing that, that's, I, you know, people like what they like. Yeah, for sure. Know? It's also like weird to say that like somebody like because like I keep saying, there's just so many different Superman iterations. Like you can like the '60s Superman where he goes around uh, and. I don't know, blows up stars with his face and then ha- gets back in time to <laughs> juggle the children's orphanage. You know, <laughs> like that's a pretty good Superman. But also there's no conflict in those Superman issues. Like when yeah. I read stuff from the 50s and the 70s, especially, I understand why kids feel excited, right? There's this sort of renaissance to the character because it's so fantastical and it's, it's so just out of left field. But when I read 30 Superman, I feel the like like righteous fury and 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 the victory, the sense of victory you get at the end when he's bested and an actual oppressor, not a, a space being, but a landlord and a boss. But when I read 90s Superman, I I love 90s Superman, but only because I like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I could say about it. I think going back to that very first question of like, is this a kid's movie? I think. It is one because it, even if it was meant as that sort of like nostalgia idea, I think it was playing on that fantastical version of him that he could be whatever you wanted him to be. He could, the rules didn't matter. There are no rules. He's just Superman. And that's, and that's, I think that's what makes it good. I don't, I don't think I have anything else, but I know that you Nat have a, a podcast that is very fitting. So I don't know if you wanted to quickly tell everyone about it. And where they oh yeah, yeah. I run a podcast called Collective Action Comics. Um, I'm just about to wrap up my second season where I'm doing the Ultimates from 2002. Ooh. Mark Miller's The Ultimates. I'm doing a deep dive onto each of the first 13 issues of Ultimates One, um, and exploring the um, shall we say pig-headedness of Bush era imperialism, mm-hmm. um, and that. I'm I'm showing people that it's not the gleeful send up of Bush era imperialism that everybody believes it to be. It is in fact uh, reinforcing that and the larger imperial project that is America. My first season was about the Justice League from the 80s and the rise of Reagan and neoliberalism. And I guess I can make the announcement here. It's not like it's a big secret, but my third season is going to be on the death of Superman. And I don't know, at Legendary Black Line, you can find you on... All the social um, medias or all the socials except for Facebook. Uh I don't yeah, know if that even counts anymore. Line. It <laughs> nah. Um I am working on a project, a podcast project that is in the works, but once it releases, it will be called um Voices in Hyperspace. It's basically gonna be a bunch of nerds talking about nerd stuff and having a lot of fun with sci fi content. Oh, hell um, yeah. And one of the one of the things that we are tackling first is Babylon Five because Ooh. it does not get enough attention. So I'll, uh, you know, Very just nice. you know, follow me, and then you'll get the update when that drops. Yeah, once it does, I can add it, re-add it back to this episode for continuity within the multi. I don't know something verse. <laughs> 
uh, in cyberspace. In cyberspace. But yeah, no, those are, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds really intriguing. I did not know about that yet. So that sounds, yeah. But uh, we'll, we've uh, been talking about the Superman 78 uh, Richard Donner movie and uh, been listening to Left of the Projector and go check out Legendary, Legendary Black Lion and uh, Collective Action Comics. And uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>